You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. 60 years ago, on the morning of August 12, 1958, a young magazine art director shooting what would be the first assignment of a colorful photographic career gathered together the who's who of the jazz world, 57 musicians to be exact, for a group portrait on 126th Street in Harlem. To this day, the photograph most commonly known as A Great Day in Harlem remains a symbol of community and specifically African-American pride. Forty years later, and 20 years ago, on September 29, 1998, about 200 hip-hop artists came together to create an updated version of Art Kane's famous jazz portrait. It was to be the cover for Double XL magazine, and it was called The Great Day in Hip-Hop. The person who clicked the shutter was none other than Gordon Parks, which is about as fitting as it gets. Today we're going to be talking to some of the people who produced this recreation of the now classic portrait Art Kane took all those years ago. Joining us in the studio are Vicki Toback and Michael Gonzalez. Vicki is a past guest on our show, a journalist, producer, and most recently the author of the upcoming book, Contact High, A Visual History of Hip Hop. Michael Gonzalez is a writer and journalist whose work has appeared in The Village Voice, Longreads, Pitchfork, and Mass Appeal. Michael is also the co-author of Bring the Noise, A Guide to Rap Music and Hip-Hop Culture. He's currently putting the finishing touches on Boom For Real, a New York City hip-hop novel. We're also going to be joined via Skype by Sheena Lester, the then-editor of XXL Magazine, who is instrumental in producing A Great Day in Hip-Hop, the photograph at the center of today's show. Last but not least, we're going to be joined by visual and creative artist and filmmaker Fab Five Freddy, whose list of accomplishments is simply too long to read in one sitting, but most notably, he's known for being the original host of Yo! MTV Raps. It's also worth mentioning that we plan on interviewing musician and photographer Jonathan Kane, the son of photographer Art Kane, in an upcoming episode of our show when he'll be sharing thoughts and further insights about his father's iconic photograph. Stay tuned for further details. For now, where do you want to start over this, John? Sheena, why don't you start? My first question would be, whose idea was it to get Gordon Parks involved and, and how'd that work? Um, the original idea for the photograph it came from someone before I arrived at Double XL in terms of just the, the actual retaking of the photo. The uh, sales boss, a uh, guy by the name of Jonathan Reingold and his lovely wife, it was their idea. And Dennis Page, the publisher, shot it down at the time saying it was just too early. I guess she, the suggestion was that they use it for their launch cover to retake the photo using hip-hop artists. So, you know, the idea went away. Once I became editor-in-chief, somebody brought it up in a meeting, and the idea of us not being able to do it never occurred to me. Like, of course we could do it. We um, came back to Dennis with it, and he was all in. And then a gentleman by the name of Michael Gonzalez came up with the idea of Gordon Park, and he, uh, he slipped it to this beautiful woman, Leslie Pitts, who, was, uh, who co-produced the shoot with us. She and a gentleman by the name of Biff Warren, who were two of the most amazing publicists I'd ever worked with in my life. And, uh, you know, they'd know who to get, you know, without, you know, any super direction from our part. You know, they knew what we were doing. They knew who we wanted. So, you know, they'd know who to get. 
So anyway, Michael suggested it to Leslie. She brought it to me, and it was, you know, again, an ingenious idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the stars made it happen. Um, I was actually out with a friend at a museum, and Leslie called and said that uh, Gordon Park said no. And then uh, I called him and got him to change his mind. The rest is history. Well, Michael, why don't you uh, chime in here? Tell us a little bit about, you know, how that thought came to you and... Uh... Well, I I was uh, born and raised in Harlem, and I had been to—my mom has always been into art and photographs and that kind of stuff, so I knew who Gordon Parks was. I also knew his films. I had, you know, seen Shaft. I think that was the first album I ever bought was Shaft. And I remember pictures of Gordon Parks in the gatefold of the album with Isaac Hayes, and he was just always so cool. There was an HBO special that was on, so his name was in the air, and, you know, I had seen the show, and so— I just kind of threw it out there. Mm-hmm. Like, I never really thought it was going to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to approach things often. Totally. Yeah. So I, I threw it out there, and, and Leslie loved the idea, and she took it to Sheena, and, and they made it happen. Right. I mean, you, you know, recently Sheena wrote an essay about that day that I read, and, you know, when she talks about how, you know, because Gordon turned them down twice, and, right. and then Sheena put the golden voice on him, and then uh, he changed his mind. <laughs> Were there other photographers considered or Plan Bs, or how'd that work? Not that I know of. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess any, you know, because there were a lot of quote-unquote hip-hop photographers sure. at the time, you know, The Source, Vibe, and now XXL. You know, so there were all these photographers that could have been called on, you know. I mean, my favorite photographer from that period was Daniel Hastings, and, mm-hmm. you know, but there were... Mm-hmm. You know, any number of guys that could have done it. But, you know, I knew if Gordon was involved, that would become, you know, like. That adds a whole level of gravity <laughs> to it. Seriously. Do you think yeah, that yeah. having him on board made a difference? And maybe this is for Sheena uh, in, in getting folks to attend who might otherwise not have attended. I mean, was he that much of a, a cultural touchstone? Well, the essay that Michael referenced um it's titled The Game Changer. Mm. So, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> he, he literally changed the game. I mean, we had a list of photographers who we were considering to shoot, you know. At that point, we were just, you know, remaking this cover and, you know, inviting as many rappers as we could to that address and um, and getting someone to shoot it. We had considered folks. Danny Hastings was certainly on that list because he's amazing, uh, as were, what, Jonathan Mannion, um, my beloved Brian Cross, who shot some great covers for me at Rap Pages, um, and some other folk. But once Gordon Park's name got into the mix... That is a whole layer of gravity to it. It really does. And what was it that uh, changed his mind? Well, ultimately, I told him, you know, I I put the spiel on him, you know, that we were, you know, honoring this generation of jazz musicians, you know, um, these uh, geniuses, these uh, Mm -hmm. legends who had inspired hip-hop in so many ways. Um, it's like we were returning to sort of consecrated ground, right. you know, with sort of their artistic offspring. Um, I put all of these arguments in his ear, and he was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> and then I just told him. <laughs> I told him basically, you know, Mr. Parks, we could get anybody to take the picture, but, you know, the only person who should take it is you. How active was he at that point? I mean, he was 86, more or less, I think, at that point. Um, was he still shooting regularly? 
Um, I think he was. I mean, I know that when Leslie called me to tell me that he said no, she said that his, you know, that he basically could pick and choose what he wanted to shoot. I guess he just didn't want to shoot a bunch of rappers. Mm -hmm. You know, I could get that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, I don't know, I think that maybe once he understood that, that we knew what we were asking for, you know, we knew we were getting Gordon Parks, you know, that it wasn't light to us. He wasn't just some photographer. I think that maybe, I don't know, maybe once he understood that we really understood the importance of having him shoot it. You know, we wanted from him what he was, which was his genius. Do you, th- do you think uh, the fact that um, Art Kane photographed uh, A Great Day in Harlem previously and, and that had a huge impact on, on a lot of people, photographers and the culture and everything else, if that photograph didn't exist, do you think, Mr. Parks would have partaken, or do you think that the weight of the previous photograph taken 40 years earlier added something to his decision? Because again, that, that was, a, I, to me, that would be a big factor. I think it did. I think, um, I think that again, we made it clear to him that we knew what we were doing by going back to that address, you know, mm-hmm. 17126. So I think he really, I think he knew that, um, that we got what we were doing in a real way. So I think that I think he understood that we got the magnitude of that photo and what it meant. Gotcha. And we also made it clear that what we were creating was also an homage to Mr. Kane. You know, we wanted to continue that sort of legacy of, um, you know, capturing what uh, fulfilled promise looks like. Basically, that's right. what he had done. That's what we wanted to do, too. That's great. And would, did you know if if Gordon Parks, you know, had an affinity for hip hop? Well, he hadn't guessed it on anybody's rhymes or anything. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he I might mean, have been uh, in some rhymes, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know that he probably had an affinity for hip hop. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that I think that he got that we got how important he was. Sure, so, right, sure, you know, sure. The rest of it was just gravy. And can you speak a bit about the production aspect of it? Like who you called first? Who were the top of the list people you wanted involved? Uh, and and how it was to get these people who signed on right away to come for the shoot and and who took some uh, some wrangling. Hmm. We had uh, a list of you know the uh, the originators you know Cool Herc you know I mean all the folks from from Sedgwick Avenue you know the old school artists. Um, we just had a long list of anybody who had ever. Um, made a rap record or contributed to hip hop music in a way that was significant. So the door was kind of open. I mean, in the sense that if somebody said, Hey, I, you know, I want, I want so-and-so should be here too. Did did you then invite them as well? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, we, um, the fact that Gordon Parks was taking the picture gave it a, a, a particular significance now. Did you have uh, Mr. Parks on board uh, before you start sending out the invites? Because obviously I think that would add a lot of weight to uh, why one would want to be in the photograph. Or did uh, Parks come on during the process? No, he came on before uh, we sent out the first invitation. Ah, okay. We were considering, yeah, we were, um, you know, again, we were still considering photos when, or photographers rather, when um, it was suggested that uh, he shoot it. And then, we were fortunate enough to get him on board. And then once Leslie and Biff Warren got the word out, you know, with Gordon Parks attached, it was just a matter of who was around, um, who hadn't made unbreakable plans, 
You know, mm-hmm. it's different when you're talking about just shooting a photo, but when you're talking about Gordon Parks taking it, it's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. all right, well, hold on. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. you know, there were folks who couldn't make it because a Karis one was relocating. I remember that. And um, I think some folks were shooting movies that they couldn't get out of and uh, things like that. But, but, you know, anyone who could get there got there, sure, because Gordon Parks was taking it. To me, that this aspect of putting out the word and getting people there is such a fascinating part of the whole thing mm-hmm. because you have to remember this was pre-social media. This was really Leslie activating this amazing network of publicists and people, and I feel like it set off this great underground, like, sleeper cell of hip-hop, <laughs> you know, and word just got around, you that, know. That's and a good point. There was no social media. That was, was, yeah, this is a whole different world. And and in some ways, if there were such social media, I wonder if that photo would have even happened, because imagine today, the call goes out, you know, Everyone in hip hop is going to be at 17 East 126 right. at such and such time with Gordon Parks photographing. You'd have more Imagine the fans too, and fans the there I mean, than than uh, than artists. I mean, I I think the shoot would have been a disaster, and you know, yeah. the NOI would have <laughs> definitely put them in their place. Wow. But, <laughs> but but that 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 aspect of it, I just wanted to jump in because that is so fascinating to me mm. that that it all just the stars all aligned. Is there any? Any artists particularly that were, you know, you, you really wanted them to be there and you had to do some arm twisting? Was there, and you don't have to go into details, but was it people were volunteering their time to come or was there, you know, was it a paying gig for the artists that showed up and just kind no, of discuss well, that aspect of it? We didn't have to twist anybody's arm because mm-hmm. Gordon Parks was attached. Okay. It was like you get to 26 Street and you get your photo taken by Gordon Parks. Period. Mm-hmm. Get there or not. It's on okay. you. You okay. know, we didn't spend a dime to get anybody there. Yeah. I will say that the one artist that folks uh, were more interested, most interested in being there was Rakim. Those were the that was he was he was who everybody wanted to see. Mm. Um, but as far as our interest, we wanted um, we wanted uh, the originators and we wanted anybody who could get there yeah. who had made a rap a rap record. You know, we knew that, you know, with hip hop, we're talking about, you know, B-boys, B-girls, DJs, graffiti writers, you know. Mm. No, we just wanted artists, just, you know, musicians, artists only. (laughs) And because, you know, Leslie and Biff were such astute publicists, they'd know who to target, you know, the the, uh, label publicists to get, the independent publicists to get, the industry blabbermouths who'd run their mouths. And again, we're talking even pre-internet. So we're talking phones and snail mail right. you know and beepers beepers, uh, beepers <laughs> yeah <laughs> hello oh my god two way hello so yeah I yeah. forgot about them <laughs> I yeah. should have yeah. said that earlier yes the pages they were in effect yeah so yeah we just wanted whoever could, could get there whoever could get there to get there and that's what they did and can you talk a bit about uh you know, securing the location and Alan's question earlier about, you know, the, the, the security elements and the production elements. And then maybe we can, Michael, you can chime in on, on some of the, we'll talk about how it was when you were there that day. Oh, sure. Well, um, Leslie and Biff did, you know, they secured the city permits and all of that, hmm. but we just went up there and, uh, and looked at the address, saw, sort of saw where it was. And then we went looking for a church, uh, on the block that we could um, use that day, basically. And we found one right on the corner of Madison and 126, and that was our home base. And um, 
and it was a uh, it was great that day actually Biff Leslie and I went up to the church we met with um one of the uh staff workers there uh Leslie and Biff then went back and met with the the pastor of the church at another time but um we went up there we talked security right there we all sort of suggested invasion is wrong you know because they're the always perfect security um and uh and that's all it was. So everybody gathered basically at the church beforehand. It wasn't like everybody just slowly showed up in front of these uh, the brownstones. That you 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 gathered first beforehand as a group, and then you went over right. as a group. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah Sheena, that was sort of sort of the plan. Go ahead. I, I was going to say Sheena's leaving out the one of the best parts was whoever catered the lunch, and there was this big lunch room downstairs, and you know, so you're sitting downstairs and looking around this lunch room, and it's like African Mbata's over there, and it was surreal, right. you know, it was right. like Fellini hip-hop or something, it was like some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually something else. We we had um, catering from Sylvia's, of uh, course, of course ah. yeah. and... Uh, yeah, because A, they were nearby. The conveniences were amazing. But um, we, yeah, we had everybody up in the second floor community room of this huge church. And it was like being in uh, like being in an airport when, uh, in the arrival section, when people come off the plane and they mm. see people, you know, the folks who yeah. there arrive and, and, and they haven't seen each other. And there's the reunion and the hugging and all of that, you know, times 20 mm. in this room. Just lots of reunion moments. Yeah. And hey! Ah, that was fantastic. Were there any? Uh, and go ahead. No, please. No, no. That's why the shoot. I think we started later. We we hadn't anticipated all of the sort of emotion. We didn't take that into account in our planning because folks were at the church. They didn't want to leave the church to get down the block, you know. And so it took a while to get everybody assembled, but it was not a problem because there was no problem on that block that mm-hmm, day. It was mm-hmm. just nothing but. That's great. So, um, That's great. And were there any the, were there any photographers working that community room, getting behind the scenes shots? Um, I think we had some photographers from Double XL, and um, Nelson George was filming for his um, documentary. Right. So we had some folks up there shooting. Was this but the biggest no. production? Was this the biggest production that you guys had put together at this point? I mean, obviously, it's a really big production, but like, were you guys used to large scale photo shoots? Well, um, I, I, no, I think this was the biggest one that Double XL had done, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and even with uh, by the, my other publications that I had worked at, it was the biggest just by virtue numerically in terms of how many people were on the cover. Production-wise, you know, it was just sort of holding down that block and keeping folks contained on that church. And then with the uh, fans who came out, although there weren't that many, actually most of the fans who came out were celebrities and other, you know, fan, you know, kind of famous folk who knew that it was going and they came out there but they wanted to see folks. Right, but right. um yeah, yeah, that was sort of the biggest production element was just getting folks down from the church. What about the the, the lining up of people, you know, the the assembly and was there people who wanted to be next to each other and accommodations that had to be made and and who did that organizing? Uh, no, not a single one. It was like get up there, get on the stoop. Hmm. As a matter of fact, Nelson George's documentary shows folk uh uh, with the um, with the bullhorn, trying to get people up on the stoop, and that was adventure in itself. On that note, um, I was reading about uh, Art Kane's original photograph, and he apparently had a hard time 
containing this smaller group. Uh, there was a lot of talking going on. Not only that, uh, it, there was some production issues going on. So it took a little bit longer. And like little kids start showing up and sitting on the curb. And apparently there was one kid, a, a kid in the w- one of the windows who was distracting everything. And Kane finally gave up of trying to maintain control and just started shooting. Did you have similar issues going on uh, uh, 40 years down the line? Um, no, actually we didn't. We had some, you know, kids that we wanted to sort of get on that curb because we were trying to recreate the, the photo, even with the kids sitting down. But at that point we were just trying to get the picture taken before the sunlight had gone up into people's faces. Oh, I was going to come to that. Um, I know that oh. Kane specifically called for a 10 a.m. shoot because he knew where the sun was going to be. It's the north side of the block and you have X amount of time before that shadow creeps up. And I watched some of the, uh, th- there were some YouTube videos, I believe it was, of, of uh, your uh, uh, production. And um, it you could see, I, I immediately started watching this shadow crawling across north up 126th Street, I could almost hear the, the, the soundtrack from Jaws in the background, you know, bum, 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 bum. And, and seriously, the, the final photograph, the first, the front row of guys, they're literally up to their necks in shadow, and another 10 minutes later, you would have lost them. Were people freaking out hey. about that? Uh, I believe they were, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can't remember the call time, but I'm pretty sure it was early. But I don't think um, you shot until about so, one or something like that, no, right? No, no, it was actually yeah. shot like 3.30 or 4 oh, o'clock. Oh, okay. Like exactly. <laughs> In other words, lunch was good is what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, between the lunch and the motion, all of it. But yeah, I think that the call time was early because they had actually scoped out and taken that shadow into consideration. Yeah. But at that point, we were just trying to get her done for real. It was like, okay, get down there. We have to get it done. And they were freaking out, but, you know, there's nothing they could do. We just had to get it done. No, I believe also in the day that Kane shot, it looked, based on the shadow, it looked like it was slightly overcast, which worked in everybody's favor. But you guys had glaring sunlight. That was bright, harsh light. It was a gorgeous day, though. I mean, it was so beautiful that day. Alan, I just wanted to tell you one one quick thing. Um about the placement. Like, the only story that I've heard is that Questlove, he actually writes about this in his um, foreword to Contact High, that he had asked Sheena where the fold of the magazine was going to be because it folded out, and he wanted to make sure that wherever he stood in the photo, (laughs) he'd be on the front cover and not on the fold or on the inside. Is that so? That is a big consideration. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought yeah. that, was, <laughs> to have that forethought, I thought was really right. interesting. That's me with a staple in my forehead. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. And, you know, Questlove, by the way, was the only artist who came with a camera to, uh, to, to shoot film. So he had, a little, he had some real foresight that day. Yeah. We, and he also, you know, writes about um, that's the day – they finished mastering uh, Things Fell Apart that day. Um, yeah. And that day was so interesting, too, because, you know, that was a Tuesday. A lot of albums were being released that day, and some of those artists came, right? Black Star, yeah. Tribe. Tribe was there. They yeah. were there. Um, Jay, Jay released uh, Hard Knock Life, Volume 2, right? But he was not there. Brand Nubian released Foundation, and they were there. Um, but just, you know, this, this, this so much happened on mm-hmm, that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually kind of gets me to a, a point that, and uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, but 
you know, the jazz photo was 58. Rock and roll was, had taken over or was taking over as the popular music. Uh, but 98 was probably a pinnacle point, no, for hip hop. Wouldn't that fair to be fair to say? I mean, or maybe a trend like kind of between the first golden age and going into a second golden age. So the question that might come out of that, were there any, you know, young guys and girls who might not have been that well known, but have grown since to become iconic hip hop artists? Um, and any back and forth between the old school and, and the new school guys? I would say like most deaf and um, Talib and those guys. I mean, they were young. I mean, Black Star, like that you said, that was their first that, album. That was their first yeah. album. I didn't. I mean, I knew who most deaf was because Devin Roberson was working with him. But I don't, you know, other than that, I didn't really know his work. And now he's like one of my favorite rappers. So. Yeah. Well, and that. Yeah. I mean. Sheena, you probably know more, but I, one thing in watching Nelson George's footage um, of that day that I thought was just really um, touching was like most deaf being a total fanboy totally. yeah, of Rakim yeah, yeah, yeah. and being like, oh my God, am I here? Look, there's, there's Rakim, there's so-and-so, there's so-and-so. And then, yeah, if you think like Nowadays, people would be having that same sentiment about him, but '98 was a big year, right? It was you had you definitely had that established originals, um, you know, legends that were there, and then you had this new school um, that was really coming up and releasing albums and experimenting, and a lot of it too was experimenting with like jazz samples, so also referencing the you know Art Kane moment, mm-hmm. um, so. Yeah, I mean, Sheena can probably speak more, but what stands out to me is like most stuff, just really. Huh. Was there anybody that you really wanted there that didn't make it or was scheduled and had to pull out the last minute and, and looking back, it's like, oh, I really wish they had been there? Oh, uh, the only two uh, particular folk, Lauren Hill was uh, late. She got there right as the photo was being taken, but mm. she didn't make the shot. Oh. And <laughs> She um, didn't make the lunch either. <laughs> <laughs> And um, uh, Run from DMC, Joseph Simmons, is actually running up the block, as Nelson George's documentary um, shows. And he made it into the photo for, or he made it up to the shoot, but he didn't make the final shot. You know, he's on the proof sheet somewhere. I noticed there were two cameras that uh, Mr. Parks used. He shot with a Nikon. I couldn't figure out what lens it was on it. And a Fuji 617, which is a wide field camera. It's like a three to one aspect ratio. Well, more than that. Um, and um, which which uh, camera took the actual photographs that made it? Or was it a combination of both? Probably. I, you know what? I can't even guess. It must I be the even. wide, right? Because yeah, I don't I, I don't think you can take um, – I don't think the Nikon would have had that. Well, it depends what lens you have, and then you just crop top and bottom. I wasn't yeah. sure. There's ways of faking all that stuff. So I actually asked – in the research for the book, I asked um, – the Gordon Parks Foundation was mm-hmm. kind enough to um, give me you know, the contact sheet, um, which has four frames on it, and you can actually see the creep up of the shadow uh-huh. on it, which is great. Could you hear the shark music as you're looking at the yeah. contact sheet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's, that, that's going to be in the special edition of the book. <laughs> Um, the 3D version. Yes. Um, <laughs> the VR version one day. Those, those little, what are those little Hallmark cards that when you open it up, they start playing the music? Right. Like, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... Um, but, uh, but 
They, I, so I, I asked, you know, the foundation if they had any records on like the specifics of that day. And unfortunately there's just more research to be done, I think, on Mm -hmm. the specifics. And I would love, you know, eventually to talk to his assistants from that day and, and find out more. But, um, they, they were not sure which specific camera. Uh, Okay. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to comment on was when you were talking about was Gordon shooting. I mean, it was kind of interesting because he was shooting mostly flowers. Like he had this big, in, in the retrospective, you know, after years of being this life photographer and, you know, shooting everything, he was like shooting flowers and stuff like that. And um, uh, so maybe that was one of the reasons why he didn't want to do the photograph at first because he didn't want to work with people anymore. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um I remember even though Sheena and Leslie were quite optimistic, I didn't think it was going to happen at all. I was just like, you, <laughs> you know, mean the whole photograph? The whole photograph. I mean, I didn't really, I couldn't imagine how they were going to get all these rappers to actually stand in one place. And, sure. you know, so Leslie and I lived together and she left early and I told her I wasn't coming. And then, like, maybe around 10 o'clock, I was like, I must be crazy. I was like, I'm going to miss this. And so I jumped in the cab and went up to 126th Street, and I'm just glad I did Mm because it was one of the greatest days. I mean, I remember two things I remember was talking to Rakim and Rakim talking about how the reason he was there was because of Gordon Parks. And he was such a big, you know, Rakim very, comes from a jazz background and all this. So he knew, and he was like, that, that, that I came, I remember him even at one point over on the side talking to Gordon Parks. Now, whether or not Gordon Parks knew who he was or not, but they were having a conversation. I also remember um, uh, Blondie, uh, Deborah Harry, and Chris Stein um, showing up. And, I, you know, I mean, I have interviewed rappers for years, but to see those guys who I loved since I was a teenager was— and um, our friend Amy Linden, who was there— um, she knew those guys, and she asked Chris Stein, they're like, is there anybody you want to meet? And Chris Stein said, I want to meet Mob Deep. Is Mob Deep uh-huh. here? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that happened. I didn't like a couple months later, I, I think on the American Music Awards, Chris Stein, I mean, Blondie did a collaboration with Mob Deep. Um, but I just remember the day being like just wonderful. I mean, I'm like I said before, I'm from Harlem. You know, I write a lot about Harlem. You know, so I, I feel a part of it, and to be a part of that history was just thrilling. And, and just a th- little thought to throw in here. Uh, I was reading up again about what how Art Kane came around to this whole thing, and he chose that block for a few. He actually cruised around there a lot looking for some. He wanted to have a street and a few row houses that were typical of Harlem. That was one thing. He also wanted a location that was within walking distance of many of the people who appeared in that photograph. And a lot of those jazz greats, literally, they lived within a few blocks. And it was also a block away from a subway station. So he actually had convenience. And I think, a, you know, a couple like Big L was in the photo, uh, came from not too far. I to say, did someone walk over there themselves? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, there were, like, a lot of Harlem-based um, artists. Jump me back a bit. Can you tell me, uh, when did you start production? How long ahead of time did the idea come, and how long was it in the works before the day of the shoot? Well, we actually, uh, we kicked around the idea to make it happen, like, in spring of 98. Um, that's when the meeting was where somebody brought it up. Mm-hmm. 
And then once we discovered uh, that it was the 40th year anniversary of Jazz Portrait, the picture, we um, were like, no, we have to do it. Yeah. But instead of just doing it for whatever random month's cover, we moved it to the year end. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And from when, Gordon, uh, when, from when Gordon Parks was on board until the shoot was how long? Let me think. The exhibit that you referenced, Michael, the um, Half Past Autumn was still going on when he said yes. And that was, it must have been, what, summer? So spring into summer, and we shot it September 29th. Okay. So, yeah. A couple of few months. Um, yeah. How about the neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a building that's boarded up and closed down in the 98 photo. Um, what was mm-hmm. the what was the block like at that time? And how about the neighbors? Did people come out? I mean, you, you mentioned that there wasn't a lot of people there, but um, the reception was good and, and it was kind of a block party. Yeah, it pretty much was a block party. Mm-hmm. But um, one of, I think the, the three stoops that uh, are being used in the photo, one of them was covered up via brick, I believe. Yeah, it was cinder blocks. Um, yeah, yeah, cinder blocks. And the other two, I don't know. You know, there were. I don't know that they were. What books trying to get in and out? Well, we went up there to scope it out. I don't know that there were anybody. We didn't have to talk to any of the neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but again, uh, Leslie and Beth went and got the city permits and what have you. So it wasn't an issue for any of that. And mm-hmm. any of the kids on the block. Or out on the block just enjoying the day like everybody else. Right. Of course, it happened to be a Tuesday, so most kids were at school. So right. it all, you know, it was gravy. I know that we had some of the photos that we took. There were children um, in the uh, pictures, and some of the um, artists who participate actually brought their kids. Right. So um, there are a few out there, and then uh, then again, the, you know, folks. A lot of the publicists who came. Um, uh, folks from different um, press outlets, you know, other magazines and media came out too. So, was there anybody there from uh, who was there at the original shoot, Art Kane's shoot? People that showed up later on, forty years later, like any of the little kids that came back as adults. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, no, 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 it, why not? Why not? I feel like this story could go on and on. Like, <laughs> and I do want. There is one baby in the shoot, which is being held by the original Jazzy Jeff, not yes. not the not who not the Jazzy Jeff in the Fresh Print. Yeah, but the original Jazzy Jeff is holding his baby and he's credited as Jazzy Jeff's baby. And uh, I actually, I was, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day. I was like, we got it. We have to find that baby. Cause that baby's 20, probably 22, 21, 22. Yeah. Now he's probably hanging out with the baby from the Nirvana cover, right? <laughs> the baby from the Biggie cover. Let's find all the babies <laughs> on the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, can we then jump back to uh, to that question I had earlier about maybe the reception to the photo uh, from the public at large, Gordon Parks, the artists that were involved? Uh, any comments from Michael or Sheena on that? Michael has spoken to artists over the course of the years, and you know they've had some wonderful things to say about that day. And even um, in the coverage, because this was the year-end uh, photo, uh, Harry Allen and Miles Marshall Lewis got some really good recollections of artists of that day and what it meant to them. I wish I had it in front of me, but I know that Michael's spoken to some folks. 
I, you know, at the time, I um, was working with the Experience Music Project, uh, the museum in Seattle, and they had me write a big story about that day um, for, it was kind of like an in-house magazine that they had. Um, as a magazine junkie, I mean, I've been a fan of magazines since I was a kid. I couldn't wait to have the physical issue in my hand. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I bought it on a newsstand or if Leslie brought it home or whatever. I just couldn't wait to have the picture, you know, folded out. And, you know, I mean, it was it, it was wonderful. Them? Actually, I have two of them. I lent one out, though. I hope I <laughs> oh, get it Oh, that back. was a bad move. <laughs> you didn't learn, did you? <laughs> you know, I try to be nice with these things, but I still have one copy. I wish I had a copy of the poster, though. Hmm. I believe, Sheena, wasn't there a poster inside? Um, There was a poster inside. I think we're picking. Some of the issues um, were packaged with a poster. I don't know that they all were, but some of them were. Yes, yes. And and, and I think Vicky was telling me that Jay-Z has, like, the original Gordon Parks print of the picture in his house or one of his houses or something. Did you you tell me that? I don't think that was me, but that's cool if he does. I I hear that rumor. I heard that. I mean, I can't confirm it, but I did hear that, too. We'll give him a call. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, nowadays I feel like hip hop's so mainstream and everyone writes about it. And at the time, you know, someone like Gordon Parks came from this generation of, you know, Look Magazine and Life and even magazines like Essence, um, Jet. You know, you think about those. um, And I, 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 it's interesting to, think about all the hip-hop magazines, why they were being born at that time. I mean, XXL came a little later, but, you know, The Source, things like Ego Trip, things like, um, you know, independent media that were publishing photos of hip-hop. I mean, I hear a lot from the photographers that I've interviewed for the book that, you know, they would go to these mainstream publications and be like, hey, I have this photo of Rakim or, you know, whatever. And, like, people weren't really checking for it. They didn't care at all. <laughs> and, and, and same, you know, same goes for a lot of this generation of writers um, and editors. And, and now I think, you know, we, we take it so for granted because it's really risen to power. But that time in history, too, you know, when you talk about media and the kind of coverage and who was writing about what, um, it's important just to pause and say like it this was a big like entrepreneurial moment in hip-hop publishing in this really young writers and photographers and editors you know having this DIY moment of starting magazines starting you know really writing about the culture for themselves and in this time when you talk about who writes about what like they created mm-hmm. this whole the yeah, not not just the culture, but the the media around it, around you it, know, yeah. and you know, I think you know you think of like Sheena is a you know a female editor of a hip hop magazine, and there were women, and we were like everyone was so young, and I just think that's so powerful, you know, and people like Leslie, like so many women were behind this this day mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to like take a minute to celebrate that because it's something I think that's taken for granted now, but it was really a generation defining itself in that moment. And I think also, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for Mr. Parks, but I think because he came from that previous generation, um, I would have been fascinated to know, 
if his hesitation had anything to do with him not feeling part of this new wave that was happening, if there was any kind of generational thing happening too. Because obviously hip-hop had this great adoration and respect for him, but at the same time there was a little bit of a disconnect happening in you know media and this art form that was still not taken super seriously by a lot of people who were gatekeeping media at the time. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but first we're going to say goodbye to Sheena. Thank you so much for joining us today. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Fab Five Freddy. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Okay, we are back. And not only are we back, we are going to be joined by creative and visual artist and filmmaker Fab Five Freddy. Welcome, sir. Hey, how are you? Happy to be here. It's great to have you on here. Um, We've been talking for the past hour or so about uh, uh, that big day 20 years ago. Can you share some of your recollections of of how that day went down and things that might have stood out to you? Well, yeah, you know, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the essay that I wrote for Vicky's book, Contact High, but yeah, it was, um, which, you know, a lot of, a chunk of the essay dealt with that. And it was like a memorable day when I got a call, like from a, one of the, the producers that I used to work with on your MTV raps, Jack Benson said, hey, Fab, are you aware of this big photo shoot going on in Harlem? I said, no, what's happening? And something to the effect of them doing a version of that legendary uh, jazz photo, which I knew well because my dad was a jazz head. Max Roach was my godfather, the great bebop drummer. So ah. I was well aware of that photo. Oh, had seen it, had watched my dad and his friends pour over it numerous <laughs> times, picking out different guys, how amazing it was that all these guys were able to to be brought together. So I was like, wow, I know it well. <laughs> And so um, I was like, yeah, man, let's, 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 let's head up to Harlem to take, you know, to see what's going on. And then when we got there, 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 there was this amazing group. I, I think I, I described it as like a block party, like a classic New York block party with like hip hop luminaries from then to now. I mean, from Cool Herc all the way to whoever had hot records at the moment were all like on this block in Harlem. I can't remember what it was, 126 or whatever. And everybody was just, yeah, everybody was hugging each other and talking and catching up. It's whatever. Anytime hip hop people get together, like from various eras, it's just like a love fest. How you been? How you doing? What's up? Everybody's fans of each other. And that literally was what was going on. And then there was my hero, Gordon Parks, on the other side of the street. And I was like a, you know, in awe moment for me because Gordon Parks has been my, you know, creative cultural hero since I was a kid and found out who he was, you know, going to see Shaft and all that kind of stuff. So he was on my radar and the fact that uh, he was doing the picture, man, was just like super duper epic. He was in his 80s at the time, but still, you know, working hard and out there doing his thing. And, and that was that great day in that was that great day part two, I guess. 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know? that's a good way yeah. of putting it. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any, uh, yeah. And, and, 
and and I just want to say also, you know, because I grew up in a jazz household, there was that the really good documentary that was done about mm-hmm. um, uh, the young guys at the time. I think Art Kane, if I'm not mistaken. Art Kane, yes. Yeah, the young staff at uh, Esquire had the idea, and they were jazz fans. And the doc was really great in terms of uh, showing how that photo came together. In fact, one of the jazz guys had a Super 8 film camera, if I'm not mistaken. And so there was various um, other footage along with the stills taken of these guys, you know, documenting the different jazz guys, you know, his actual film footage of them. So that was all pretty amazing. In fact, that even there's some young kids sitting on the ground in the original photo that were adults and they were interviewed as as grown men about being, you know, the little kids on the block in the fifties when the when the photo was taken. So yeah, I, w- I was well aware of the legacy around that picture and was really happy to participate in, uh, in the 2.0 version. <laughs> Were you, uh, can you, did you get there early and hang out in the church and spend some time with people, meet I, people? I went, I went, yeah, yeah, I was a little early. I went in the church for a minute, but I mostly stayed on the street mm-hmm. because I was just like everybody else. I'm seeing like a who's who of hip hop people from then and now. And I think a few years ago, when looking at the photo, it hit me, and this is the point that I make in my essay, that this photo literally is the end of the golden era because that era in hip-hop, which loosely is from, I guess you'd say, um, mid-'80s to mid-'90s, and this was a period in hip-hop when, you know, obviously New York dominated, but the South was happening at the beginning. Cali had happened, and it was still strong. And it's just looking at the people in that photo, I realized, oh my God, this could most likely never happen again. Because the reason everybody was in town, Vibe Magazine was doing their music conference, if you will. So tons of heads were in town for that. Um, so you had Atlanta in the house, you had California in the house, you know, Chicago. I was working with a group called Crucial Conflict at the time which were the biggest group to come out of Chicago. We had a huge hit um, with them. And um, they, they were there that day. I'd forgotten everybody there. But when you comb through the photos, you realize, like, why is this amazing representation of hip-hop people from coast to coast from then to now, including Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash and all those guys, Rocksteady Crew. It was just, I mean, even Debbie Harry and Chris Stein from Blondie were there. Mm-hmm just a unique gathering of people, you know, all celebrating, you know, hip hop culture and it would all change and, you know, evolve into where we are now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. Mumble rap. <laughs> <laughs> Mumble rap. It's Mumble. It. Mumble. <laughs> uh, quick question about the, the, like the placement and where you were in the photo. Do you have any recollection of, of you know, how you were yeah, placed where you were? Who was that? I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm standing, um, I'm, I guess if you're looking at the photo, uh-huh. I'm a little to the left, looking at the photo, I'm a little to the left of center, yeah. and I'm kind of right behind Fat Joe and yep. Slick Rick, yeah. kind of on the side of me. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Was there any, uh, I mean, 
do you remember how you got to that spot where you just, someone said, go over there or you wanted to be next to somebody or they, they group people together in any one way or any recollections on that? Yeah, I just was, yeah, I was going to make sure that I was going to be front and center some way, somehow, <laughs> as it should be, was, was there no question in that. But, uh, no, but actually, no, it was all good. I was just really, I'll tell you, it was a, I tell you, there's some, there's some video of that and, mm-hmm. and the hardest thing was getting everybody to kind of stop the like love fest. Sure of everybody like amazed at seeing all their other people that they look, look up to, which is at the core of hip hop culture. Like people admire each other. Even if you're not a big fan of the musical style, people know what it takes to kind of make an impact on this game. And the respect was being demonstrated. It was just really special. And so, you know, and then Gordon on the megaphone and assistants trying to get everybody to like, come on guys, let's sure. take the photo. <laughs> it just was such a sweet moment. And going over to, to talk to, to talk to Gordon was epic to me. It probably was the second or third time I'd met him, but I had to go over to make sure that he actually knew and he acknowledged me. Um, yeah. So I'm, I was friends, I'm friends with, you know, a couple of Gordon's kids, Leslie Parks is a buddy. And definitely, um, like I said, I've been a huge fan of his work. Since Shaft, and since I realized that he was, he was the you know the model of the Renaissance man. Anybody that wants to you know excel in different creative uh, formats wants to you want to take a close look at because Gordon did it all and did it well. You know, filmmaker, composer, writer. I mean, you know. <laughs> director of photography. I mean, come on. That's it, baby. <laughs> you think that everybody who was there was was aware uh, of the original photo and, and, and kind of understanding now, this place in history? I, yeah. mean, I mean, you know, film heads, people, I mean, I'm sure there was some that knew. I, that's, a, that's a good question, by the way. But I think, once again, it was the idea, like, once again, everybody was in town for what was one of many music conferences which would bring everybody together label execs artists etc but i once again i knew i'm sure nelson george and people like that knew i'm sure michael gonzalez knew you know us us like hardcore culture nerds had had been aware because that film had came out just just probably a few years before the uh the documentary and i remember going to the film forum to see it, and it was like you know, extremely well done. Yeah, I, I was there too. G- By the way, Gene Bach is the the filmmaker there. It's called The Great Dan Harlem. For people that want to look it up. Uh, Michael, Vicky, wow. do you guys have any questions? Anything you want to? Well, I, I was going to say I remember when everybody was going to the block. I believe um, Freddie Nelson, George, and Russell Simmons were the guys who were kind of corralling everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, and, that, and looking at Russell, you know, I mean, this guy is like this multimillionaire or whatever, and he's like just taking part into this, this whole thing that he was helping get people to the location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, no, I, well, I was just going to add, you know, Harlem itself. I mean, Fred, I know you, that's where you live now. How have you seen that neighborhood? change over time and um, kind of compare it to what it is today versus because now that brown you know those brownstones I walked by there not too long ago I mean they're all like beautifully redone the cinder blocks are gone the cinder blocks are gone (laughs) um, you know well that's a good point because you know I was um, I hadn't even brought my house in Harlem yet so that's a really interesting point and I'm a part of the gentrification of Harlem 
It's, um, you know, whether that's good or bad, that's a, that's a debatable issue. But, um, yeah, no, I was, um, I've, I've been living in Harlem now since the early 2000s, and it's hard to find um, an abandoned building in Harlem right now. Things have changed dramatically as far as that goes. And, um, yeah, you know, a lot of people used to be scared of Harlem because of the negative press that was given to places where people of color live in this city. Harlem had just gone through the crack era. You know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived in Harlem most of my life. I moved out of Harlem in 92, and it was still going through, you know, the quote-unquote crack era. You know, for people who don't know, I mean, there were a lot of abandoned buildings. A lot of neighborhoods were, you know, not what they were even 20 years before. So, you know, when you look at that building and you see that it's all kind of boarded up, I mean, you know, the the crack era had mostly ended, but it was still hanging out, you know? Um, I don't think it really got better until, like, maybe, like, five, ten years later. Um, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Anyone know what that building is? I mean, I guess there's owners and people live in there. Vicky, have you been yeah. up there? I'm glad you bring that up because I last time I was there, which was about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. I walked on that block and they have a commemoration to a great day in jazz. And there's a small plaque that says, you know, on this location, on this date, photographer Art Kane photographed. And I was like, where's the Gordon Parks great day in hip hop mention? And there is absolutely none yeah and i thought you know Hmm. after yeah i'm like (laughs) i feel like this needs to be um absolutely a stated and b that's a good point victoria that's a very good point at the very least take a sharpie and go write it in (laughs) well no i think we need to do more than that so this i mean having this conversation Uh today celebrating yeah celebrating this anniversary um and just bringing attention to you know this next generation of artists that created that too. I think we need to uh, call the mayor's office and, and, and get, get that changed. So Fred, can I ask uh, at the time and now looking back 20 years, did you, uh, did you know at the moment that that was a, a, a pretty a very special day? Let's put it that way. And something that was going to be looked back at 20 years from now, or was it just kind of another shoot? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I knew it was important. Um, how important it would end up being. But I knew it was a cover shoot, so seeing the cover and the fact that it was a three-part showdown, that was pretty incredible. I had ever did something like that. And it was, you know, once again, quite impressive. And if anybody, you know, thanks to the magic of Google, which we were probably in the infancy of, if you Google those things, you know, pretty much both pictures come up. So for those kids that are curious or stumble across it or whatever, they're kind of joined at the hip if you will, thanks to the magic of search engines is what I found. Cause I looked it up with when I, when it hit me a few years ago, pulled it up on Google and I'm looking at the, Im- you know, the image and I thought, wait a minute, you know, the golden era, which is a much discussed period in hip hop. Um, and that was it. And there's a, and, and, and also I think what the golden era is, rep- is emblematic of, is the unity and love to hip-hop. Even though we went through the quote-unquote East Coast, West Coast war, that was a media affectation that didn't really exist in, in, in full trueness. You know, that was something where the media threw gasoline on that, when Tupac and Biggie and all that, they whipped it up into something that really didn't exist. Whenever those artists would get together, it's a hug fest. 
You know what I mean? And that's what was going on on that block. But things would soon change. That's you know, a good. The whole, you know, the, yeah, things would change. I was just going to say that that's a, a big point. We, um, you know, as we were talking about who was there, who wasn't there. I mean, it had been really recent that both Biggie and Tupac were killed. I mean, that they were that was 96. And this was just two years Correct. later. So um, 96 and 97, respectively. Yes. Tupac first and then Biggie. Right. And so this was really soon. And so the community was really feeling this great loss of these two greats. And so to come together and really have all that love, you know, Fred brings up a great point that um, it was really hurting at the time. And so that was a beautiful thing to see everyone come together like that. Was there a quick question? I mean, I know Gordon Parks, obviously somebody you had met, but you were looking forward to seeing and meeting. Was there anybody else up there that you, you know, you were hoping it was going to be there and, and they were there or... Or on the other side, somebody you didn't you met that day, maybe a youngster that kind of blew your mind, or someone you're still listening to these days. Any recollections of uh, on individual people? Well, I just I just was I think the big the excitement I think for everybody was who else was there. Once again, Chris Stein and Debbie Harry from from Blondie. These were these are people that I introduced to hip hop as it when it was literally like like when it was still an infant and they believed in me, supported me and made a record called Rapture, which was, you know, first record with rap in it, not hip hop record with rap in it to go number one all over the place and set the table for a lot of the rest of us that was there. I mean, way before I would even be hosting your MTV raps, you know, once that happened, people were like, wait a minute, you that guy that Blondie and them was talking about. So that was significant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people heard that name and, they didn't know what a Fab Five Freddy was, you feel me? <laughs> but at the point, it was like pieces of a puzzle that they were able to figure out where it fits once you're in the air, coast to coast, you know, worldwide, and then all these things. And the fact that they were there, as well as just once again, you know, Coke LaRock and, and Clark Kent. Those were the, some of the first guys to rock a mic like, while Cool Herc was spinning at those first parties as this idea of hip-hop was actually being hip-hop music, that is. So the fact that those guys came, I mean, you don't see those guys at your typical rap gatherings. You know what I'm saying? So it was like a strong street buzz went out, the classic grapevine, pre-internet. People people were still using pages at that time. It's like if you was technologically with it, you had a 1-800-SKY page on your hip. You remember those, you, you know, and that that thing went beep, 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 and you checked the number, sure. and then you had to go to you a payphone. Pay yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, that was where we were at that point in time. But it all, but it all worked, and people came out the woodwork. Yeah. So people were there, That's you know cool. what I mean? That's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. There's there's well, a great there's a great part in some of uh, Nelson's footage where. Um, you see they're interviewing Rakim and in the background um, is this gentleman named Dino Devalle, who was an A&R person and who went, who signed cash money um, to Universal. But at the time, um, I think he was working at uh, at Payday still. And he has this gigantic uh, brick phone. <laughs> no, and he, he was actually, he was actually at MCA. He was working, he was, was A&R. Was he at Universal he already? Was A&R okay. And, um, 
on Rakim solo album. Ah, okay, so that's why they wow. were there. And he, so he and I used to work at Payday together. That's why I recognized him in that's the in the background. Yeah. That's right. And Dino just, you know, I think he was one of the few people there. He was just really feeling himself for having this giant brick phone, <laughs> and he's, you know. As as Rakim's being interviewed, you see him in the background, like on the phone, like yeah, I I got this looking, phone. Looking like Crockett and Tubbs. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a shoulder injury from my phone. Oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Actually, Dino was working at Universal at the time because we did our label deal for Crucial Conflict. Um, Universal and Dino was a part of that shit. He was up there at that time, so he had a he had transitioned. It was getting a little bit more money, and without question, Universal was paying that phone bill because cell phone bills back then were ridiculous. Remember, like all the plans, data, stuff we implemented now had not come into the picture. So oh, literally yeah. had to be balling. You know, shout shout out Dino and Pagers. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, yes. I remember it well. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I can remember kids in the hood trying to front who didn't have cell phones, but they would take the cordless phone from the house <laughs> and walk around <laughs> act like they were talking, trying to impress girls. <laughs> I, remember, I remember busting a couple of cats. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not going to put you on blast, but I got that same phone at home. <laughs> for real. <laughs> Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Terrific talking with you. Oh, man, thank you. And, uh, and and look, the final thing I want to say is for anybody that doesn't know about Gordon Parks, Google him because, you know, everybody should recognize, you know, the great renaissance man of the 20th century. Google him. And contact high. Get a copy. Get your order yours now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was, a, that was a ton of fun uh, and different from many of our podcasts around here. Nice little refreshing change of pace here. Uh, Vicki, would you uh, tell us about the book that's coming out on October? October 16th. Yeah. It comes out. Um, and that is Contact High, A Visual History of Hip Hop. Yes. And by the way, we have an advanced copy here. It's a nice book. It's big. It's packed full of a, a wonderful imagery. Really, really great stuff. And as we said earlier, the pages lie flat when you open it, right? So <laughs> it's it's well made, you know. Beautifully I, printed, really nice. There's also you. some great essays in there right here. Yes. There are yes, yes. And Vicky wrote we, a lot of the book. <laughs> which is I mean, like that was one of the things we were talking about, looking at the book and just seeing I you know, I, I can't wait to dive into that book for real. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's the thing, like I think behind every photograph is a really great story. And behind every photograph is also contact sheets where you visualize who else was there and, you know, what was happening in the frames before and after. And it's a way to really tell the deeper stories of, of hip hop and the people that were involved in it. Um, it's a so, very complete document is really where I look at it. It's, 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 there's a lot there. You can get lost on every page. You really can. I want to ask one question and this might be a weird question, but do people still use contact sheets? Not really. I mean, not not in the way that they were once used because they were really you know a working uh, working object right. for people. But right. nowadays people make them for fun. It's all on the screen. Yeah, but maybe maybe we'll bring it back. 
Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, so, the, yeah, so the book comes out October 16th. Um, it's a chronological, you know, unfolding of the fat past 40 plus years of hip hop photography and photographers and the stories behind them. Really great essays. Questlove wrote the foreword. Michael Gonzalez wrote the story about Great Day in Hip Hop, as did Fab. Rizza contributed an essay about um, his inspiration for Wu-Tang visuals. Young Guru wrote an essay. DJ Premier from Gangstar, which is someone that I used to work with for many of their photo shoots in the early 90s. He wrote a great essay. And then Rhea Combs, who's the photography curator of the Smithsonian uh, African-American History and Culture Museum, also contributed an essay. So from, you know, the writing to the imagery to the photographer stories, I really hope that this will be a book that can serve the culture in the moment. Yeah, and just tell tell the bigger story that, that I'm just so proud to come together with everyone to tell. Um, and, you know, Great Day, as, as you know, as, as I was deciding which photos would be in there, of course, Great Day was a no-brainer. Um, and November 7th at Schomburg Center, we're going to host a talk and a celebration about that photo. We'll have the book there. Um, we'll have a great panel. Michael and Sheena and Fab will also be part of the panel. So anyone who's listening and wants to come, Schomburg Center, November 7th, um, we will celebrate Not even too far more. from where the photo was taken, too. Correct. And right. that's why, yeah, and that makes it even more special, right. having it in, in Harlem, just a few blocks from, from where that photo was taken. Michael, yourself, anything exciting happening these days? Um, Not that I can think of. <laughs> just make something up. I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still writing. Um, in, um, been writing for Long Reads and Wax Poetics and... Paris um, Review. Oh, yes, in the Paris Review. And, um, you know, so I'm going to be doing more work uh, coming up for long reads. I just did a big story, you know, on Lauren Hill because mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago was the 20th anniversary of her, you know, milestone album, Miss Education, yes. So I did a big story on that for long reads. And, you know, so I'm just, you know, still doing journalism and essays and um, and that kind of thing. Good. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. Okay. You know, they say life is short, so what better reason to not miss a single episode of our show? You're not a subscriber? All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Player FM, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Subscribe and never miss a single episode of our podcast. And when you subscribe, you also gain access to over 100 past episodes. How much does it cost? Nada. It's free, so log on and sign up. For now, on behalf of all of us here in the studio, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs>